Okay, thank you, Martin. I'm going to uh, introduce this talk by saying while I was um, at a prayer day on Thursday, I felt God speak to me very powerfully about something that he wanted to do here um, at the end of this meeting. And as we go along, I'm going to explain that. But just before we start, I want you to already be anticipating an encounter with God and an encounter with the Holy Spirit uh, at the end of this meeting. So, uh, so just have that in your mind as, as we move forward. When I was uh, asked to speak on truth, it felt appropriate to share um, a way God has spoken to me through the Bible in my life. Uh, when I think back to my faith when I was growing up, and I know lots of people uh, in this, well, several people in this room knew me at the time, um, what you may not have known was that I, I had a bit of a foot in both camps for uh, a length of time. I was at, in church with my parents on a Sunday, but with my friends at school, I was getting into more and more, should we just call it mischief and, uh, and leave it at that. In my heart, I knew that what I was doing was wrong. I knew that the trajectory of where they were headed was not where I wanted to go. But I felt trapped because I just wanted to fit in. I just wanted to belong and be accepted. Then it sort of came to a head where one day um, I, was, uh, I, was on, I was on the phone to the local police. And I'm ashamed to say that I lied to them about something that had happened because I was trying to protect my friends. And it was that moment where it had sort of you know, reached that kind of stage. I just thought, gosh... I've, uh, I've got to sort this out somehow. All of this stuff was happening while Sunday by Sunday I kind of sat in church with that sense of being torn. And then a lady who used to uh, come to this church before the family moved away called Donna Goddard gave me a card. And it's one of my most precious possessions on earth. And, uh, and in the card she wrote John 8 verse 36. So if the sun sets you free you will be free indeed. And it just resonated with me so strongly because I wanted to be free. I wanted to be free of this friendship group that I knew were really bad news for me and my future. I knew I wanted to be free of the hypocrisy of the whole situation. And, and ultimately, I wanted to be free to live out my faith. And I heard a promise from God. The sun sets you free. You will be free indeed. Now that passage has already, uh, that um, verse is from a passage that was referenced at the beginning of this series. I just want to put it into its context so we can see it. So this is John 8 and it's from verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We've already looked at those verses. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Know the truth and the truth will set you free. And when you're free, you will be free Indeed, And it was on the basis of that promise in verse 36 that just a few short months later I was uh, away um, at a Christian event called Spring Harvest with the youth club from this church at the time. And I made a very real decision in my heart that I was going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. 
And when I came back to Shrewsbury, I realized that that was going to affect my friendship groups at school. I was very blessed to have uh, Christian friends in school who I could identify more openly with and, uh, and live more wholeheartedly um, for God. Not living my parents' faith, not just trying to belong in two camps, but actually following Jesus based on a promise that I believe that God had given me. And when I see how the lives of my friends at school have unfolded since then, I actually see that in some ways God was protecting me from what could only be described as disaster, really. And there were still bumps in the road in the future and times where I went off the road completely, but somehow, through it all, this verse remained like rock in my life. Fast forward a couple of years then, and there was some work of the Holy Spirit going on in the churches and in this church, and I, I, I found it all a little bit strange. I couldn't really work out uh, what was going on, but I figured that God is good and he guides his people, so I decided I'm going to get prayed for, and I'm going to ask God that if it's good, if it's of him, that he would show me. And I stood here, pretty well there probably, uh, at the front of this very building, and I went forward to receive prayer, and, uh, and this couple, um, who've, who they've both since passed away actually, um, they came forward to pray for me, to receive the Holy Spirit, and the guy said to me, he said, David, before I pray for you, because they called me David back then, um, David, before we pray for you, uh, I just want to tell you that I feel God wants to remind you the verse in John 8, verse 36, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. There are 31, over 31,000 verses in the Bible, but God gave him mine, written on a card at home, the 31,000 to one shot. Looking back on it, I probably should have asked him for the lottery numbers that week as well, but uh, that's just a joke. Um, I was really stunned, and, and, and I knew that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. Fast forward several years and an opportunity comes up to work at Barnabas Community Church in Shrewsbury as an administrator at the end of my year out. And I prayed about it. I asked God to speak to me. I felt uh, him speak to me through a variety of different people and circumstances. And so I was on the edge of making one of the biggest decisions of my life with all sorts of ramifications in every direction, not to go and do the job that I had to go to up in Manchester, but to stay here in Shrewsbury. And uh, I was at a church visiting a friend up in Nottingham, and it was during the worship time, and I just took some time out. I just sat down. I was just talking to God about it in my heart. And, uh, and I said to him on that day, God, uh, you know, this career path I was headed on, this job I was going to go to, I believe that you've asked me to give it up and stay in Shrewsbury. So I just want to say that I'm going to follow you. I'm going to work for Barnabas. I'm going to take that step. And, you know, I won't dress it up. It was a tearful moment. It was a really special moment. And at that moment in the worship, the congregation stopped singing. And you know sometimes in between the songs where the worship leader prays, at that exact moment, the worship leader paused. There was no singing. And they prayed this prayer. Lord, I thank you that your word says that if the sun sets us free, we will be free indeed. At that very moment in a church service 90 miles away in a church that I didn't belong to, the 31,000 to one shot happened for a second time at the exact moment I'd asked God to hear from him. 
Last week in this series, Terry and uh, Emily both did such an amazing job of explaining how truth comes alive in our hearts, especially in difficult circumstances. And I guess I wanted to start by sharing that story and give testimony of how the truth comes alive in our hearts in all circumstances and in good things, in great situations, in, in salvation, in the work of the Holy Spirit, in, in opportunities to serve in the church. That was in 2002 that that, uh, that Nottingham thing happened. So that means that this October, I will hit my 15-year milestone. It's quite interesting that. That's quite a long time. But I know through all of that that God has set me free and called me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that he wants me to receive his Holy Spirit and be inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he wants me here until he says something different. But it's so interesting how quickly those little voices come back into your head, those kind of little accusations, uh, those kind of did God really say moments, how quickly they come back. So I want to tell you a story about something that happened to me last year, and I'll just preface it by saying that... um, that uh, I'm really content with the way that the church supports me financially working here. But this is a slightly different path to where I and some of my peers were headed at the time. Now, we, love, we, live, up in, uh, we live locally, and um, I've shared the story before about how God opened an opportunity to buy a particular house and make it available to us. So we're so happy there. Uh, and, you know, we've lived there for three years now, and every time I drive up there, I still have this sense of gratitude and thankfulness of God for the way he guided me. And, uh, and I should also say as well that I love my car because I drive a Vauxhall Zafira. And uh, it is such an amazing car. It's got, like, flip-up seats in the back and a tow bar. Uh, it's just an epic dad car, and I love it. I am so happy with my car, and I regularly thank God for these circumstances that allow us to have that car. It's not an idol, by the way. I just really like it. And uh, so I feel grateful. I feel grateful about my situation, about my family, about my circumstances. But the accuser doesn't want all of that, does he? He wants me to compare myself with other people and feel dissatisfied. And so we had this university reunion last year and some friends traveled from different parts of the country to uh, come and visit us. And they came to our house and the kids were playing together and we were having a lovely time together. And then we were going to go into town to go and play in the quarry park and uh, show them the castle and all the things you do when people come and visit Shrewsbury. And I walked out of my house that I'm so content in and I, I went to get in my car that I'm so content with and I looked up. And, uh, and I just saw my friend's kids, like, getting into these really big 4x4s and stuff like that, like really top-of-the-range company cars. And at that moment, the voice in my head, and almost like a pang in my heart, said, your kids don't have what they have. You're not really providing for them properly. And just that voice, you know, accused me. And I thought, well, where did that come from? 
I am totally, completely, and utterly convinced that I'm fulfilling God's call on my life, and I'm really happy with my life. So where did that sort of comparison come from? It's almost like, um, like if you have like a house party or something, and then someone has too much to drink and starts wagging their finger at you and suddenly spoils the whole event. It was a bit like that, but it was the comparison that was happening inside my head. Well, the Bible says that we should take every thought captive. And so if you want to know where that sense of um, sort of uh, comparison is and that sense of uh, dissatisfaction is, it's currently taken captive. And it's actually parked on our car park at the back there because it's locked in the boot of a Vauxhall Zafira where it will stay while I am grateful for what I have. God has called me to do this, and it's been reaffirmed by his word, the 31,000 to one shot twice. But the point of even just sharing that story, that's a bit daft, but the point of sharing it is that believing the truth and believing the call of God isn't just a one-off choice. The voices still jump out of nowhere and, and catch you off guard and accuse you and ask you if it really is right. And we need to remind ourselves that God has spoken. I want to change tack slightly now and go in a different direction. We're going to be looking in John 14 now at the passage that Terry used last week. And just this one verse, John 14 and verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. Not He points the way or he signposts the way or he suggests the way, but he is actually the way. He has made the way for us to be in relationship with our Father in heaven. He is the way. He is the life. His resurrection is not just some philosophical idea or um, some kind of uh, hypothesis. Jesus came and lived and died and rose again and ascended, and he is alive. And it's because he is alive that he can promise us life and life to the full. He is the life, and he is the truth. He is the embodiment of the truth. And so when we say that Christianity is about believing the truth, we don't just mean a set of statements that are true. Although there's lots of those, but ultimately the truth claim of Christianity isn't in some sort of tick box list of things you believe. It's that Jesus himself is the truth. And that leaves me with a really sort of uh, complex question that I want to ask this morning because I think it, uh, it speaks into the heart of any believer. Just as I go on, I should say that the steam engine next door is having an open day and so we will occasionally hear them letting off a bit of steam next door. That isn't the trumpets of angels or anything else that has been suggested over the years. Uh, it's a few lovely blokes keeping the steam engine going. So the question I want to ask, is it possible for us as believers to know what is true but actually miss the mark when it comes to being truth to people? 
That's the question that I really want to ask all of us. And I want to illustrate it through Jesus' encounters with two women that we see, both of them again, recorded by John. First, in John chapter 4, we're not going to read the verses, but you can catch up with that either now or, or later. A woman at a well. Jesus is traveling through uh, Samaria, and he's tired, and he's thirsty. And when this lady goes to the well, he goes to her and asks her for a drink. And they strike up a conversation, and uh, Jesus starts to explain about how he knows where there's water, where she'll never go thirsty again, and starts to explain eternal life to her. Then the conversation turns to the lady, and Jesus knows by the Holy Spirit that she's been married five times. And that she's now with a guy who's not her husband. And she's naturally shocked by uh, that level of insight. And that gives him the opportunity once more to explain that he is the Messiah. And uh, we've got a good friend of our church called Rich who with his wife Judy together, they're church planting in the Middle East. And he summed up this encounter that Jesus had beautifully the other day on Facebook. So let's just read what he posted the other day. He said this, when Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman in John 4, Jesus crossed multiple lines of difference, gender, ethnicity, religion, politics, and culture. Jesus approached her with his need and weakness and with respect. Jesus' approach opened doors. In that culture they were in, a man should not approach a woman. A Jew shouldn't approach a Samaritan. And at best, we can describe the lady as having a bit of a reputation and currently in a relationship that the passage implies isn't entirely above board. So for a very religious Jew, there would be a whole load of true things about this situation that you could say. She's the wrong gender, she's the wrong race, the wrong religion, she's in the wrong place, she's got the wrong kind of background, and she's in a wrong kind of relationship. And those statements that are technically true could lead the religious person to make a judgment against that lady and to reject her. Not so with Jesus. He comes to her and he approaches her on the basis of his own need. The fact that he was thirsty. He doesn't talk about their differences immediately. He talks about what they have in common, which is that they're both thirsty. He doesn't stay silent on the moral issues in her life. But when he speaks to her about some of the uncomfortable things, they're like truth to her because he's already shown his love, his respect, and his engagement with her. And the second situation, I think, that helps to explain a little bit of where I'm headed with this uh, is when there's a woman who's been caught in adultery by the religious authorities and they bring her to Jesus. This is in John 8, right before the passage that we started with. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they had all the true statements in the world. They had the the law, the Old Testament law, and, and they knew that this lady had been caught in adultery, and they knew that there was punishment for that in the law. All of that is true. But when they take her to Jesus and ask him for judgment, ask him to line up all those statements of what are true and judge the lady, she, he says, You who are without sin, 
cast the first stone. You Pharisees who have all your true statements, unless you treat this lady in a way that is life bringing truth to her, then you're sitting in judgment. The truth for this lady in her situation is that she needs to turn her way from her situation and she needs to find forgiveness in the arms of a loving God. And Jesus says to her, go and sin no longer. He doesn't dodge the fact that she's acting uh, in that way, but nor is he chasing her with a selection of rocks to throw at her just because he knows that she's in the wrong. So knowing what's true is really important, but so is actually like being the truth to people. And we see that in Jesus, not just by what he says, but by who he was to people. And when I look out at what the sort of the church is uh, saying uh, in the public sphere in this nation at times, I feel a real sense of concern. Some people almost... It feels like they're so determined to sound loving that they're saying things and accepting things that simply aren't true according to Scripture. And yet some are so desperate to say things that are true that they're actually saying things and accepting things that don't sound at all loving. And yet Jesus was both. And we're supposed to be like him. If we focus on just loving and accepting everything to the detriment of what the Bible teaches, then our faith just, it's, it's built on sand that won't last. We're not, we're not called to just blend in and tell everyone that everything's okay when it's not. But we need to be careful when we're, when we're searching for truth and to uphold what is true, that, that we're not sort of like right about everything without expressing God's heart in it. Otherwise, people can accuse us of being judgmental. Or they can accuse us of being hypocritical because none of us in this room have got it all wrapped up, have we? So I'm going to go now back to the passage that I started with. In John 8. And the clue was there for me right in the beginning of my journey with God. But I didn't see it straight away. I said to you the value of verse 36 in my life. Verse 35. Now the slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. It's our security in our adoption by God that is so vital for us to understand, to live by, and to express truth. And this is a concept that's really come alive to me uh, afresh over about three years ago. And, and when, I, when I heard some sort of teaching on what it looks like if, you're not, if you don't really live by your adoption, what does it look like in your life? And, uh, and when I heard that teaching, I can only describe it, it was a little bit like when in a film or something and they look in a mirror And then they look in a mirror, but they don't actually see themselves. They see something that's really scary. Have you ever seen that in a sort of, in a film or something like that, where the image they see in a mirror, it's like a scary version of them. And as I read it and reflected on it, I found it really startling. 
because I realized that there were many areas of my life that I'd built around things that were true, but I hadn't necessarily allowed them to become truth in me. So I knew that God loved me, but I was comparing myself to other people rather than being secure in the fact that God loved me. I knew that and had an understanding of Christian discipleship, but within that I was judging other people and probably judging myself really judging myself even more harshly seeing the seeing the dirt not the gold and uh, because of that i knew the truth that the only opinion that matters is god's i knew that i'd tell anybody that that was true but it certainly wasn't the only opinion i listened to or coveted in some ways i saw my Christian walk as working for God rather than enjoying God and allowing him to use me as he moves. I knew every true statement. I could quote you the verses on God being my father, but somehow I didn't feel it. And then the Holy Spirit broke in. And it was like he added verse 35 to the verse 36 that I'd always had. So rather than being insecure about my place in the family, I want to celebrate and enjoy being a son, being a brother. And that's why I'm coming to Encounter tonight, and that's why I'm really excited for it. A member of our church has had a fabulous prophetic picture of um, a child uh, uh, celebrating and playing um, in the rain with just nothing holding them back and just that, uh, just that celebration and life. And so we're going to share that this evening and we're going to worship God like a child would play in the rain without anything holding us back or interfering, not looking at what other people are doing or seeing or watching us, but actually just enjoying being with God together. So, the truth we hold on to as believers is not just a set of sentences that we know to be true. It's actually when the words of Scripture and the truth of who Jesus is come alive to us and give birth to life in us and that we can reflect that to other people. We really don't want to be people or even a church that has all the right answers but our attitudes and actions show that they haven't actually fully come alive in us. We want to not only know the truth, teach the truth, but actually live it and experience it with one another. Being really authentic about the bumps on the road and the difficulties that we have. Being really honest with one another and open and spurring each other on, not with kind of like uh, promises that are unattainable, but because we're journeying real life together and we're stepping forward into the life that God has got for us. 
So I was praying about this uh, on Thursday at a conference. I told you this at the beginning. And this is, we're going to come into land pretty quickly. And I just want to explain this, though. So our network of churches, Christ Central Churches, uh, we meet twice a year and for a couple of days. And prayer for revival is the theme of these meetings. So it was a really exciting meeting. And, and I just took uh, some time out. And I was sat at the side. And I was just hearing from God. And they sung a really old hymn. And, uh, and that surprised me a little bit. Because, like, you know, surely the Holy Spirit only works on songs written in the last six months in America. That's true, isn't it? That was a bit of a joke. There were some great new songs, there were some great old songs, let's have all of them. But I was a bit surprised because they sung a really old hymn. And I felt God say to me, you know that small voice in your heart? I felt God say to me, read the words, Dave. Read the words. Stop singing this song and read the words. So rather than singing along like a sort of um, just going through the motions, not really considering the words, I, I waited on God and I just listened to the words. And as I did so, I can only describe like I felt the, the presence of God just fall on me in such a powerful way. I was just absolutely just, you know, I was out of that meeting for, 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 for quite a bit of time. I'd like to invite the band to come up, actually. Because it was all there in this old hymn, in this familiarity. There was all the, the truth or the true statements that I knew. Salvation, adoption, Jesus coming back, the atonement, all the great truths of our faith. It's a magnificent hymn. But as I waited and as I listened, it really hit me. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. A few of you have got it, haven't you? Behind the truth statements in the hymn, there was almost like a greater truth. Not just a list of things that we believe, but if you like, there was a person, almost God himself, reaching out. And then it talked about mercy and love, drawing us to him. And then we sung the last verse together. I am at rest in his goodness, lost in his love. And I felt God say to you, say to me, what I've just done to you, Dave, is a foretaste of what I want to do in Sunday. I've done this to you. So you can take a bit of that back. Like a, if you were having a wedding celebration, you might go to the hotel and have like a tasting menu and to try all the different things before you chose what everyone was going to have. I felt like he was saying to me, I've given you a foretaste. And so as I've been preparing for today and even like what Kathy shared prophetically about just feeling the wind on your face and knowing that the Holy Spirit wants to come. I feel like there's almost like a, an anticipation of the Holy Spirit. Like, you know where there's a storm coming and you feel it and it's almost like there's electric in the air and there's just that something's going to happen. And I believe that God told me that we are going to sing this grand old hymn 
and we're going to see some words which might be incredibly familiar and hear music that we may have heard many times before. But not just to go along with the tune, to not lose the moment in our own familiarity, but that there was truth coming, the presence of God coming, imparting truth to us this morning in our hearts. So I'd love us to stand together, and I'd love the band to lead us in one of the grand hymns of our faith. <laughs>